Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Well, church, we had a little break from our series through the Old Testament uh, last week, but this week we're picking back up in Exodus. So, yay, we're in a new book. We're in a new book. Since September, we've been in Genesis, all right? And today we start something new. We're going to be in Exodus. So if you want to open up your Bibles or if you want to click on your fake Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And you're like, well, what happened to the first three chapters? Well, we're going to talk about them. And then they're going to be in your devotions this week. If you don't know, just a little reminder. Number one, we have a digital bulletin, which is a really cool way to follow along with the sermon. And in, in most weeks, the growth group questions are in the digital bulletin as well. Um, but also on our website, we have a devotional that it kind of accompanies the Sunday message. So everything is focused on that one message every week. Our growth groups discuss the message and how do we apply it to our lives. The devotional fills in all the gaps of, you know, today we're skipping ahead to basically three and four of Exodus, but, you know, one and two will be covered in our daily reading. So you can go through the Bible with us um, and you'll get the whole thing, but it's, it's designed as a complete package, right? You know, God doesn't want us just to fellowship with him on Sundays. We're to be walking with Jesus every single day and we've done everything we can or we're doing everything we can to facilitate that and help you with that. So today, as we open up Exodus, I've titled this sermon, Cry of the Oppressed. And um, just to set the background a little bit, and I don't know how many of you are just like, I, I would ask you to raise hands, but nobody would admit this. You're just bored with the Old Testament. You know, you're thinking, well, there's not a whole lot relevant. Or I hope that anyway, we've explained it to such, you know, we've kind of gone through it together and we've seen how it relates but as we get into Exodus, I want to tell you, this is exciting stuff. These are not just folk tales or grim tales. These are real life things that happened uh, many thousands of years ago. And we're talking about just the, the awesome power of God on display all through Exodus. It's an exciting book. And as we move forward and we get into Numbers and Deuteronomy and Kings and we start getting into the prophets, I mean, this is exciting stuff. We cannot throw out the Old Testament. You know, it's not, it's more than Sunday school lessons in the Old Testament. There are life application teachings in all of God's word. And we value the entirety of God's word. It's all his. Uh, I will be the first to tell you that I don't think all of God's word carries equal importance, right? As far as how important it is to our lives, like the genealogies and numbers are definitely not as important as the book of John, right? This is important. But through all of Scripture, God is revealing himself, and he is showing us that he has a plan and that he is with us, and we are really going to see that today as we look at the life of Moses, basically his birth through uh, him returning to Egypt. It's a story of Abraham's family, and Joseph was in Egypt, and we learned that the brothers came and that they found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, and they were given you know, land and to flourish, and that's exactly what they did. 
the, the, Hebrew, the Israelites grew and grew and grew to the point where Pharaoh started fearing them. Now, this wasn't the same Pharaoh who extended courtesy to Joseph and gave him rule over Egypt and who saved Egypt from the famine and the rest of uh, the Mediterranean area from the, um, the famine that was there. This was this is like two generations later, and we see that the Israelites are becoming so powerful and so prolific that the Egyptians start fearing them. And this is the second most romanticized birth story, I think, in the Bible. I was telling Stacy this. First is Jesus. We see the birth of Jesus in this light of our, of the twentieth 21st century. Wow. And we see in light of this, and we see we you know we look back, but that. The way we see it is probably not exactly how it was, right? The birth of Jesus. Um, the three wise men, the camels, the shepherds, lowing, blah, 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 you know, just all that. It's, it, it was a lot more difficult and a lot more plain at that time. And we see the birth of Moses also, and it's just, just a great story, right? Pharaoh is hunting, he's basically commanded, well, this part isn't great, commanded the death of all the boys. And so his mother takes him and puts him in a basket of reeds and closes it with pitch so it floats and puts him in the river Nile and just sends it floating on to by, right? And then we see Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, notices there's a baby in there, takes it. Uh, um, Moses' sister, older sister, witnesses this entire event and then goes up to her and says, hey, by the way, uh, this Hebrew baby, it's going to have to be nursed. Obviously, you didn't give birth to this baby. You can't nurse it, so... Let me go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you. Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Who does the daughter, who does his sister go get? His own mother, right? So his own mother gets to raise the baby under Pharaoh's protection. And th this all seems great. Now, in the river, Nile, it wasn't just a basket floating down the river. There might have been, the Nile was the waste system of this entire area, and Pharaoh, let's not forget, Pharaoh commanded that every male Hebrew child be thrown into that river and killed. And, thrown, and so floating among the basket could have been the corpses of other baby boys not as for, fortunate as Moses. And so the romanticized story is there's one basket in the reeds, and it, the truth is the, the river probably would have been full of dead babies because every single baby boy born was to be thrown into the river. And this is the plot, the second plot of Pharaoh to kill the baby boys, right? The first one was he told all the midwives, just kill them immediately, and they don't do it. And they said, because the Hebrew women are so vigorous, they just give birth and before we can get to them. That's how strong they are. That's, pretty, that's a pretty legit rep right there. I'm just saying. Just like, oh, I'm in the field, I'm doing my work, I'm making bricks baby pops out and good to go. All right. Of course, that wasn't the truth. They needed help, but that's what the midwife said. And it wasn't enough for Pharaoh. So all the baby boys had to be thrown into the river. You think about this and there's some application. This, this message today is not about abortion, but there are some abortion app. There's some application here, isn't there? Because here Moses is, uh, uh, Pharaoh is trying to get rid of unwanted babies right? He wants to control the population of this, this, this culture that he considers reprobate, this culture that he considers a problem. And in order, to get, in order to control the population, he is basically mandating late-term abortion, basically after birth abortion. Just get rid of the babies, throw them in the river. 
Church, God illustrates in this story and in all through the Bible that all life is precious to him. And though you might think, well, we're not throwing babies in the river, right? We're getting them about a month earlier. And we're getting them maybe three months earlier. And the illusion that life begins after the birth canal is a lie, right? Life begins at conception. And the idea where we can just get rid of all of our unwanted babies and throw them away is wrong. And every Christian, you, you cannot be a Christian and hold another position than this, right? I, I know this like this sounds strangely political, I want to promise you, it is purely spiritual. All life is precious to God. All life is precious to Him. And we can't just throw away things that may be problems for us, or we can't just throw away life because it's inconvenient. We must value all human life. This is an institution. This is an idea that Christ affirms, that the Old Testament affirms that life is precious to God. And here we are in the 20th century, and I just couldn't, 21st century, I couldn't help see some of the parallels there, you know, about how there are people who just don't think poor people should have babies, and so instead they just make, they, they're absolute, absolutely uh, bent on making sure that they can abort those babies and kill those babies, and I just think that's a horrible, horrible thing. All right, very friendly first-of-the-year service, I know. But you just can't get through the text without talking about the great tragedy that surrounded Moses' birth, you know, and the great tragedy that was after Jesus' birth. After Jesus was born, Herod was so incensed, you know, that there may be a king born to the Jews. He had all the boys killed in Bethlehem, you know, uh, that were two years and younger. There's a great tragedy around this great blessing, and it's in this backdrop that we see, we, we kind of see Moses. Now Moses grows, he becomes older. He always knows he's a Hebrew. He's, remember, he was raised by his mother. There's no, there's no uh, cl- this wasn't a closed adoption. He knew exactly uh, who he was. He knew he was a Hebrew, and he's out, in, he's out kind of supervising the work, and he sees a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. And he goes up to the Egyptian, and he kills him. And he buries him in the sand. And what he had done became known. And because it had become known, Pharaoh starts hunting him. And Moses moves away, and he runs from Pharaoh. And then he kind of starts shepherding. He, he meets his wife. He gets married, and he's out shepherding. And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 2 says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? And the Lord saw he'd gone over to look, and he called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses answered. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land to a land good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. 
Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I think there's a couple things interesting here in our text. Number one, God says in verse 7, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to rescue them. Church, this is the God we serve, a God who is familiar, who is with us, a God who is present. He is not distant, but he is present. He is observant. He is, he is all-knowing. And he has heard the crying of the oppressors. A few, was it, uh, was it Christmas night we watched A Wonderful, It's a Wonderful Life? Well, we just watched it, right? And in the beginning of this movie, you know, Joseph and God are having a discussion about George Bailey. Most of you know this story. And the reason they're responding is because of the cries of the people on behalf of George Bailey, right? Because George is going through a tough time. You know, eight, some money comes up missing, and, you know, they don't know what to do with it. And uh, he thinks he's going to go to jail. And so people start praying for George Bailey, and the prayers are heard by God. Now, of course, this is a cinematic illustration of it. But here we have Moses, and, you know, he's far away, far removed but the people of Israel are crying out to God for relief. And God hears their prayer, and he has determined that he is going to rescue them from the suffering inflicted upon them by the Egyptians. I have come down to rescue them. It's, it's just a phenomenal statement. We sing songs like, Good, Good Father. We sing all the praise and worship songs. We can sing them all day long until we start believing them and living them. They don't really mean a whole lot, you know? One of my favorite quotes, I've quoted this a lot, so you're probably sick of it, but Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies, we just come to church and sing them. You know, it's kind of interesting, right? We talk about, we sing about loving God, serving him only, lifting him up. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, but when we go out and we live our life, we don't live that way. Church, we have a God who has come from heaven to earth to rescue people from their sins. That's what we celebrated last week. And he is our good, good father who is present and aware. And I, I'll be the first to tell you, your pastor forgets this sometimes. You know, and maybe I'm alone. Maybe you are totally walking in faith every single day and you are totally aware that you are God's child, that he is with you. He is aware of your affliction. He's aware of your suffering. He's aware of your, your depression. He's aware of the situation in your marriages. He's aware of all of this. And you're just as happy and joyful as can be resting in the presence and purpose of God. However... For the, all of us who are not liars, we would say that we go through times in our life where we forget that God is present. We forget that God has come down to rescue his people. We forget that God is a God who is knowledgeable of our sufferings, not only in theory, but in practicality. Jesus experienced loneliness he was forsaken not only by all his friends, but by his own father who he has had a fellowship with since eternity past. He was alone on the cross. The punishment of the cross, what Jesus was praying for in Gethsemane, wasn't that his death would be avoided, but that God would not abandon him on the cross. Because on the cross, he bore the sins of the world. And God, while didn't abandon him, could not look upon him with all of that sin upon him. And there for a moment in history, he's separated from, from that perfect unity of the Trinity is, is a little skewed. God is present. Church, we need to remember that. And as I was preparing for this message this week, I was reminded I need to remember that. That God is present with us, not only in good times, but in all our suffering too. 
God's conversation with Moses from the burning bush shows us how he responds to people according to two things about his character, his infinite being and his, excuse me, and his infinite character. God's infinite being. God says I, that he remembered his covenant promises. He remembered his covenant promises. What does that mean if he remembered them? Does that mean he forgot the covenant he had with Abraham to bring people out of Israel? No. What it means is that he had chosen this point in time to act upon those promises. Now, if you were, right now we're thinking, okay, that's cool. God, you know, God's timing. But let me tell you, if you were an Israelite and a slave in Egypt, you're like, God, why not last week? Why not last month, right? Why, you know, his timing seems perfect for him on the outside, but when we're in the middle of it, it sometimes feels like God is late. Amen? Sometimes it feels like God is late, but his timing is perfect, and he has determined when to act on his promises. But God will never, ever, ever forget the promise he made to Abraham. He will never forget the new covenant in Christ Jesus, right? We will never be forsaken. We will never be alone. Jesus promised, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Jesus will be with us here on earth until we, we are with him. And then we will be with him for eternity. That is a promise that we can take to the bank. He is all-powerful and he is omnipotent. He knows all things and he can do all things. Then we look at God's infinite character. God is infinitely compassionate. He is infinitely compassionate. He is infinitely um, willing to forgive. He, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? He understands that his children are in need. God is also attentive. He hears and responds to the prayers of his children. Now, I have prayers that I have prayed for 20 years that have gone seemingly unanswered. And when I say that, I mean I haven't gotten my answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I pray, and like most of you, I pray with a certain outcome in mind. Right? Not, it's not always God's outcome, but I'm praying like, you know, God, would you please do this? And if God is not doing exactly what I think he ought to be doing, then I kind of discount that as God's not answering. But that is certainly not the case. God hears and answers prayers according to his will. Right? He hears every single prayer, but some of my prayers are not for, not for my best, that's for sure. And God has a plan and a purpose, but he is attentive. He does hear our prayers. And sometimes, oftentimes, he says, if he says no as an answer to our prayers, it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. Thirdly, God is faithful. He always does what he says he will do. He's always on time. You know, there are entire books at Christian bookstores full of the promises of God. There are devotionals written about the promises of God. And I think it's important, right? I think it's important that we understand the promises of God. However, a lot of promises of God are prefaced or followed by if-then statements. You know what I mean? If my people who, will, who, will, if my people who are called by, name, my, by my name will worship me and honor me, then... Then I will be their God, and I will provide for them, and I will take care of them, right? That's, this, there's this thing. So, like, we cannot separate the promise, promises from what God's expecting of us, right? That's covenant relationship. There's, there's two parties in a covenant. You can't have a covenant with yourself, right? 
Now, we, we try to do that on New Year's, right? And we make a covenant with ourselves. I'm going to get rid of chocolate, and, or I'm going to get rid of, you know, I'm not going to eat any more pizzas or dooners or whatever. And we say we're going to do this for a while, and then, you know, we break it in March or sometimes February. And, and uh, you know, but covenants are really between two people. And God is faithful. He is faithful. I think we need to remember, too, that God is infinite. And knowing that God is infinite means that there are no boundaries on his qualities or his existence. That God will always be and he will always honor his promises. God hears the prayers of his people and he honors what he has said he will do. So second point, God reveals his identity. Verse 11 says this, Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Let's just pause here for a second. Moses says, who am I? Who am I? Now, this is is the reason most of us don't get engaged in ministry, right? It's because the pastor invites you, the volunteer information form goes out, the invitation goes, and you're thinking to yourself, who am I to do this? Who am I to lead a Bible study? And I'm not talking ushering and greeting and playing in the band and hostessing, these are all important things that need to happen. But what I'm more referencing is when you're asked to teach children or you're asked to lead a Bible study, oftentimes the answer is, who am I? Who am I that I should do that? Well, the the truth is you're nobody, just like me, just like all of us. Aside from Jesus Christ, nobody. And I'll tell you right now that if if, if you get up every day and you, or every Sunday and you preach this gospel and you do it in your own strength and in your own power, you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. Nobody's convinced. Nobody's convinced or argued or preached necessarily into the kingdom of God. What happens is preaching goes out, the Holy Spirit works in the heart of those who hear, and then people respond. But in the absence of the Holy Spirit, none of that happens. See, it's kind of like a chemistry thing, right? You need this, and you need this, and you need that. The gospel must be preached, but the Holy Spirit also must be present. Hello? And this is why people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, anything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit freak me out. How can you separate that? How can you take the Word of God and say, well, this is the Word of God, but we're going to get rid of all of Corinthians 14, we're going to get rid of all of Acts chapter 2, we're going to get rid of all the physical manifestations of God in among His people, and we're going to throw that out, just like Thomas Jefferson did, right? Thomas Jefferson wrote his own Bible, did you know that? His Bible was the Jefferson Bible, and in the Jefferson Bible, he took out every single thing in the Bible that was miraculous. How can you do that? And church, I want to tell you that Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Acts, is still continuing today. Now, maybe it's not documented in the Bible. We're not going to add to it, but the church of Jesus Christ is still alive, and it's the same power that empowers the church. It's the Holy Spirit, and you can't separate the Holy Spirit. I'm encouraging you, don't be freaked out by the Holy Spirit, by inviting Him more into your life every single day. Don't be freaked out by that, by what may happen, because you're not going to care. You know, you're not going to care. Your pastor speaks in tongues. Does that freak you out? I'm sorry, but when I'm praying and I'm home and, I'm, and, and the Holy Spirit prompts me to pray in tongues, I'll pray in tongues. And I'm sorry if that freaks you out, but I cannot not be that person. right? I cannot, because you can't undo that. And, 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 and I don't care like if that freaks people out. I, I really don't care because it is, the, it is God showing up just like he did for Moses. Moses said, who am I? 
And God effectively saying, well, you're a vessel, right? And your purpose is to stay empty so I can fill you up and my power can work through you. See, God, we like full, God likes empty. We like to, you know, we like to think, well, I have this qualification, I can do this and I can do that. God says, be empty, let me fill you, and then we'll see what, what happens. Verse, uh, verse 12, he answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Now, only one person gets to go up the mountain, that's Moses. The rest of them stay down there, right? And some of them don't worship God. We'll get to that in future messages. Verse 13, Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. You see, Moses's first question, very logical. A lot of us have asked that question. Who am I? Who am I to do this? Who am I to preach the gospel? Who am I to lead a Bible study? Who am I to witness to my coworker? Who am I? And when you come to the answer that you are nobody, then you're ready. Then you're ready to start witnessing, to start being used by God. Because everybody who comes to God and thinks I can be used because of what I've done is of no use to God. Do you understand that? We educate ourselves. We read the Bible. We read books about God. We we. we we look for God to reveal himself more. And this gets really to Moses' second question, who are you? And this is really a very important question that we kind of gloss over a lot. Who is God? You know, Moses wasn't asking like, you know, he knew it was the Lord, but he was saying, how do I explain you to other people? Who do I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. God is saying, I am transcendent and I am imminent. See, God is above us, but he's also among us. And Moses wanted to understand who God was so that he could answer questions about him that would surely come. Church, we ought to know who God is. We ought to have good doctrine. We ought to understand the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to tell you, when I became a Christian, I read the entire New Testament in like a day, right? It's not it's not rocket science, and it's not hard. It's not very big. Now, the Old Testament is different. But I had no context for what was happening in the New Testament, how Jesus was fulfilling all of these prophecies, because I didn't grow up in church, and I didn't have the benefit of learning about Jonah and the whale and Moses and the reeds and all these other stories. I didn't have the benefit, so I went through and I studied the Old Testament. and got through the entire thing in like six months. God reveals himself to us through his word. You want to better represent Christ, you have to know Christ. You want to better explain the Bible, you have to understand the Bible, right? And it means you have to get in it. You have to get in it. You have to study it, not just read it for 15 minutes a day and check it off the list, but really when you come across questions, when you come across things that don't seem to make sense or are contrary to the character of God, take time and study those things and see where God is working. Moses could not know God's name. 
And God decided not to reveal his name. But God has revealed a lot to us about himself. All we know about God, everything we know about God has been revealed by God. You know, the Bible is not just a collection of words. It is God revealing himself to humanity. And here in Moses' story, God is revealing that he is um, omni, omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is the God who keeps his promises, that he is a God who hears the prayers of his people and knows his people's suffering. God is distinct from and independent of his created world. He is above it. And everything that we know about him has been revealed in his word. This is why we ought to be careful about books that take, that go above and beyond God's word, what God's word reveals to us. In an effort, maybe even a, a, an effort to explain God, right, more and help us have a greater understanding of God, sometimes Christian authors go too far. And they say, well, they start adding to God's word, and this is a problem. This is a real problem, because God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word, right? And this is also a problem for people who would argue that there are secret messages in the Bible. Why would you do that? Why would God do that? If God's chosen method to reveal himself to humanity is his word, why would he hide stuff? It's not hidden, and some of it's confusing, but it's not hidden from us. There's not secret codes in the Bible that we're supposed to discern and figure out, right? That the Bible is clear, uh, but sometimes in our context, we have a difficulty in understanding it. We always need to remember that as we study God's word and we go through life, both good times and bad, that God is holy and God is near. And this is the God who the children of Israel needed, but this is also the God we need today. We need a God who is holy, who is perfect, who is just, but we need a God who's near. We need a God who's, who's with us. God says in his name, I am who I am. I've been who I've always been. I'm consistent. I am who I am. I am not shaped by others, nor will I be. I am what matters in the future. God is affirming his treads, his, that he's transcendent and he's imminent. The only way for us, for Christians, to walk in fellowship with Jesus is to allow him to give us our identity. Do you understand? Individuality and identity are not the same things. We are children of God, right? Our identity is in him. It's not in what we do for a living. It's not in how many kids we have. It's not, in any, it's not in any earthly title. It's from God. And too many of us get our identity for what we, from what we have accomplished or what we've done on the earth or the titles that have been bestowed on us by other people. But God gives us the identity as child of God. This is so key and so important to who we are because it affects every other thing we do on the earth. The only way for us to walk in peace, the peace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is to say, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. And it shapes everything we do, every decision we make. This is called a biblical worldview. 
And it's not something we just decide to do. It's, it's a change that happens on the inside. This is why Jesus in John 3.16 is explaining to Nicodemus that a man must be born again. See, there's a transformation that takes place at salvation. And here's my thing in the church. Why has the church lost a lot of its power? Why is it weak? Why are we not doing all that God has called us to do and as effectual as we were in the past? It's because so many in the church have yet to be born again. Experience the transforming power of God. I am not who I was. I am a new creation. I, am, I see the world differently. And there's too many people who just add to their lives Jesus. This is not what happens. When we become Christians or we quote-unquote get saved, what happens is transformation. That's what ought to happen. It's more than raising your hand. It's more than even coming down to the front or even being baptized in water. It's the power of God transforming a human life to being born again. The way we see is not how we used to see. We see things completely different. Our biblical worldview is formed in that moment. See, people, your kids back here, once they get out of kids' church and they turn about 12 or 13, statistics tell us that most of their worldviews are set right there. Now, how do you change that? Well, if you've ever been in an argument over a holiday dinner about politics, you understand with your family members, right, which this happens a lot in my family, that you cannot change somebody else's mind usually. And arguing only seems to entrench the person in their view deeper. But worldview can be changed by the power of God, by that transforming power. This is what happens at salvation. We're transformed. Our understanding is transformed. We were blind, now we see. And you think, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, then you haven't experienced it. See, and this is the problem. Church, It grieves my heart how many people identify themselves as Christian but have never had a transforming experience with, by the power of God. This grieves my heart because I think it's the absolute most dangerous place to be as a Christian. You know, with the, the most, no, excuse me, let me say this differently. It's the most dangerous place to be in the church. Thinking that, well, if I do this, this, and this, then I'm good. You know, I do go to church. I'm trying to be a better person, and that, that's enough. It's not. It's not. I, if it was, then we wouldn't need Christ. If that was enough, we wouldn't need Jesus at all. And this whole thing's in vain. Trying to be a better person is not enough. We need to be better people, and the only way we can be better people is by the transforming power of God. Our identity is in Him. He reveals himself in his word, and he reveals who we ought to be in his word. We get identity, and we get purpose from God's word. Lastly, point number three, God shows his power to Moses. God, Moses asks, who am I, and who are you? And then he goes on to say, he's still doubting. He's like, I'm supposed to go, Pharaoh, let's just get it. This is the most powerful kingdom on the planet right now the Egyptian kingdom. How am I supposed to go in? I'm just going to like, hey, Pharaoh, <laughs> can you let these people go? We're just going to go chill in the desert for a while and hang out and worship our God. Is this cool? I mean, 
Moses gets it. It's like, that's not going to happen. And when some of you hear our mission statement, right, the mission statement of our church is to go into all the nations of the earth and preach the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're thinking, that's, that's not going to happen. That's impossible. And I'd say, yeah, that's impossible, but not impossible with God, right? And neither is what God is asking Moses to be, do. He says, if, if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you, which is, I think, a very reasonable thing to expect for Moses. The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. Throw it on the ground, he says. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. <laughs> Just a funny story, really, you know. And then Moses, he saw a burning bush, right? God's appearing to him. He saw a snake, and he ran from it. I think it's funny. The, the Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. And so he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. He says, this will take place, he continues, so they may, will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Moses did not feel qualified or believable for the task God was giving him. And God didn't step in and give him a self-help book. You know, he didn't say, hey, Moses, you're a good guy. You know, you went to you went to Bible college. Uh, you go to you go to your you know you lead a small group. You're you're good to go. You know, just go out there and do this. He didn't give him that divine pep talk. He didn't hand him a copy of your best life now. He didn't you know say, hey Moses, man, you're you you can do it, man. You know, you can do anything that you set your mind to. He didn't say that. He said. My power will be on demonstration through you. He th you know, the staff is a symbol of God's power in Moses' hand. In all of the heroes of the Bible, it's not about what they could do, it's about what God did through them. It's about, it's about people submitting their lives to the authority and rule of God and, and to his, submitting their will to His. And that's when great things happen. That's when great things happen. You and I cannot change the world. I would say that you and I cannot even change one heart. We cannot change one mind, but the power of God can. The power of God can. Now, we may not carry a staff on our hand, but we have something greater than a staff. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, which calls each believer's heart his home. And he is manifest in and through his Church, the problem is we're afraid of the power. God gives us his power and we run away from it like a snake. Church, this is not the way it ought to be. We need to embrace the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and get to work on the mission of God. Not in our own power, our own strength, but in the power of God. We don't need to be afraid of God's power. We need to embrace God's power. We need to receive his power. Up until this point, God had done a lot of talking to Moses. But now we see God's power revealed. Why? Because Moses took a step, a small step. He said, yes, yes. Now there's a lot of caveats. He still says, I, I'm not a good, I still can't talk well. I still have a problem with this. And so God's like, okay, fine. You can have Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece, but I'm still going to give the words to you. And then you're going to tell Aaron and Aaron is going to carry that out. And that's the way it goes down. 
They go into Egypt. We're going to learn next week. They go into Egypt. They start giving out. <laughs> they start laying it out to Pharaoh what's going on. But Moses took that first step, and then God's power was poured out upon him. And church, it is still the main method by which the gospel is preached today. Not by might, not by strength, but by power. The demonstrated power of God in the lives of others. Some of you have experienced bona fide miracles in your life. Some of you have been witness to others' miracles. I want to tell you, I think that's enough. I still think that's enough. And when God moves and people are healed, people are delivered, people are transformed, that is a witness unto itself. That is the power of God manifest. It's not something we conjure up, right? And I'm pretty careful about this because I'm, I'm a little, I'm not skeptical, but I'm a little, um, what's the word? Uh, cynical. Cynical about it because I've been in churches that have abused that power and have kind of whipped it up. And that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for frenzy. That's not what we ought to be looking for. We ought to be looking for the authentic presence and power of God, period. However that manifests itself, we should be okay with that as long as it lines up with Scripture. Moses taking a step of faith in God, faith in God, and God revealed his power. Moses had witnessed God's power. He's still talking about, well, my speech is not what it ought to be. And, you know, and God says, who made man's mouth? Who made man's mouth? Who are you to say to God you're unfit for what he's calling you to do? Who are you to say you're unfit to be a witness? God uses his power to fuel our obedience. There are a few select moments in my life that could power me until I'm dead, right? You know, the day I got saved and was transformed by the power of God, that's that, that alone would have been enough. The day God filled me with his Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues, that was number two. The, the day God called me to ministry, the day I married my wife, all miracles in my... In my I, I, I mean, he might think, well, you just, you just found a woman and she, you know, she liked redheads and that's the way it worked out. No, I mean, I, 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 the, who I was before doesn't deserve the life I have now. You know, does that make sense to anyone? It's the power and grace of God at, at, at work. The great I am has brought salvation to his people in Jesus Christ. We don't see ourselves in slavery like the Hebrews, but we're, we're, before Christ, we're in slavery nonetheless. We're enslaved to sin, and we serve, we serve a brutal taskmaster in sin who makes us miserable and and you think well i'm not really and, and you, you try to explain this to people and they're like well i'm not miserable you know i'm having the time of my life i'm in germany i'm at you know i'm you know just they have the best beer and the best pretzels and I, it's just awesome i just love it and you can't explain it to them because they haven't been on the other side of that yet you know and that's where the power of god has to come in the power of God has to come and transform them because I'm telling you I lived that life too but the day i got saved it was like what? This? This is what I've been saying sucks? This is what I've been saying I don't want to do? This? This is awesome. This is awesome having that weight of sin off of you, having guilt removed from you. 
You don't realize. See, we are in the world has sold themselves into slavery. Like so many people in the Old Testament, they sell themselves into slavery, but they don't realize the oppression that they're in. How many of you are debt-free? Anybody in here debt-free? I have my hand up. I'm debt-free. Right? I'm not rich, but I'm debt-free. And maybe you think, okay, I'm bragging. You're not. Because this is one illustration, right? When you realize that you don't owe anybody anything, right? You don't have credit card debt. You don't have car debt. You don't have any of this. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't have to send Visa $300 a month anymore. That is awesome. And basically, I'm paying for stuff that I bought 10 years ago, right? That's over. That's kind of oppression, right? And when we, when we come into Christ, we realize all this debt that we were carrying around and that has just been wiped away, I'm telling you, you feel about, you, you might not look 50 pounds lighter, but you feel it, right? you just like, wow, this is what I was missing. God has delivered us through Jesus Christ. We have a new life in him, and we have been transformed by his power. And because of that, those of us who have truly been transformed by God's power understand the value in sharing that. The number one reason, you, you, you hear me talking about every week, just in case you missed it on the front, the name of the church is Stuttgart Missional community church. So if you're like, oh, all the pastor talks about is witnessing. All the pastor talks about is missions. It's on the door. It's on the door. And why is it such a key to us? Why, why, why so much emphasis? Well, I think number one is because your pastor is a missionary, right? Not in a traditional sense, right? I mean, I don't have snake skins and I don't have safari stories, but I'm sent here by the church in America to come and minister in a land that's not my own to a culture that's not necessarily my own. I'm not in the military, right? And we know that's a, its own culture. And though I don't fit the standard definition, that's what I am. And so that's part of it. But the other part of it is that's all God gave us to do. Right? And I know I talk about board games and playing golf and this and that. And you got things you talk about too, but that's not why we're here. We're here to, to make Christ known to the nations. That's the only reason Jesus hasn't come back, that more people might be saved. And it's not that we can just be comfortable and sit around, but we, because we who are saved understand the oppression of those who are yet to be saved, that's what compels us to go out and preach the gospel. It's not enough talking that the preacher does. It's not the sermon notes or the growth group questions. It's understanding the depths from which you were saved is what's going to motivate you to go out and be a witness. And the single biggest hindrance to witnessing is not experiencing the power of God. You have not been transformed by the power of God. Now, I'm not here to tell you you're not saved. I'm not here to tell you that. But are you? Are you born again? Have you experienced the transformation, the transformational power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Have you done that? Has that happened to you? Or do you feel like I'm in church, but I, I don't think I've had that experience? Why not? Start asking some of the hard questions. Because I want to tell you, it's not enough. It's not enough just to say, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the best I can and just hope God, that's not what God wants for us. He is a God of covenant, which means we can count on his promises, which means if we give our life and our heart to Jesus and we serve him and we submit our will to him, then we can count on what God promises in return, eternal life with Christ Jesus and freedom from slavery here and now. That's, I think that's a pretty good deal. I think it's pretty awesome that our God is a God of covenant, that he is eternal, that he is unchanging, 
And that the mission of God, though intimidating like it was for Moses, right? It, it, you think Moses, you got, some of you will not tell one person at work about Jesus. And, and we can't even get our mind wrapped around what Moses had to do, right? I mean, it's just insane, right? The, the level of confidence that this guy had to have, right? To go in and just like, okay, well, God showed me that he's real and, you know, this is not a snake in my hand. It's a staff, so I'm going, right? But I think Moses must have been amazed at every one of the plagues, right? Every one of the, the acts of God. Can you imagine walking through the Red Sea, right? And all the Israelites went too, but only Moses really followed God. As soon as Moses went away to worship God on the mountain, what'd they make? A golden calf. It's like, what? What? And this just says that this this. Relationship with Christ is intensely personal. It's in, we have to experience it. We have to experience it. That's all I got. I'm pretty spent. You know, it, I know I am, it, I am so thankful for every one of you who come here every Sunday and let me yell at you. For 45 minutes. I think that's awesome. And I'm so thankful. I'm like, every day I get up on Sunday and I'm like, I think people are going to be in church today. And I don't, and you think, it, it is definitely not your, me. And I, I, this is not false humility. It's not. We're gathered together to worship God. And I hope that you're here today to hear from God. But if you've heard from God today and you've been challenged by the message today, respond. Respond. Decide to do something about it. If you're, if you're born again and you've experienced the power of God, determine to live your life on mission and find your identity in Him. If not, if you have not experienced the transformational power of God, determine to encounter God. Right? Get on your face. Pray. Invite God into your life and surrender yourself to Him. Give Him your life. And you think of everything you're giving up, but we all, you all, you are, you, you cannot understand what you will gain from it. And I can't explain it all in the two minutes I have left. But respond. That's, that's what we do. We respond to the Word of God. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.